So this morning we've been talking a lot about the book of Lamentations already, and we're about to hear a reading from that book of Scripture. You may be thinking to yourself, I don't know much about the part of Scripture called Lamentations, but if you know what it is to have a broken heart, you already know a lot about this book. It's short, it's tucked in between uh, Jeremiah, which is this really long kind of mountain of a book, and then Ezekiel is even longer, and little short five-chapter long lamentations can get overlooked. Uh, We don't know who wrote it. Traditionally, it's thought that the prophet Jeremiah wrote it. It's five poems. And they're structured around the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So you'll notice each chapter has the number of verses that's a multiple of 22. It's written around the year 586 B.C., which is when the Babylonian uh, armies that had been encircling Jerusalem for two years finally destroyed the city and captured all of its inhabitants, captured the king, destroyed the temple, took the people who were living in Jerusalem as slaves and took them off to a foreign land. Now, this came as a shock to the people living there because the northern tribes of Israel had already been conquered by the Assyrian Empire because the northern kings and prophets had been so quick to run away from God and toward other gods and goddesses and and live this kind of double heart. We are your people alone, O God, but we're going to hedge our bets by seeking prosperity and peace in as many places as we can besides you. And they had been uprooted from the land and taken captive by the Assyrians 135 years earlier. And the Assyrian army marched south and surrounded Jerusalem. We're coming after you next. And then miraculously... The city was delivered. The Assyrian king withdrew and took his troops back home. And so it feels like we're safe. We will never be uprooted from this land. And now, God, our hearts are broken. And we're asking the question, has your love for us been broken too? That's the question that we'll ask and answer this morning as we hear our scripture reading from Lamentations 3. Thanks, Carrie. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it 
and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us to, to let our hearts hurt where that is needed. And where healing is needed, help us to find that as well. We pray these things through Jesus, the Redeemer. Amen. Here's a word. It's a Hebrew word. It's the word chesed. I'm not going to say it a lot this morning, don't worry. Um, what does it mean? It's the word translated in verse 22 of our text as steadfast love. This is the ESV, English Standard Version translation. Steadfast love. Translators have just struggled for centuries to know how to translate this word. Not because its meaning is unclear, but because its meaning is so rich and deep and full that it's really difficult to capture it in any one word or phrase. If I had to unpack it, it would be something like compassionate, loving kindness. Well, here you go. Compassionate, loving kindness flowing from unbreakable covenant faithfulness. Now, it just won't do to pack that into every sentence where this word is present. Today, I'm just going to say faithful love. But this sense of God's compassion and mercy for those who are hurting and needy. A sense of loving kindness, both, both sides of love, both the feeling and the emotion and the commitment and the depth of heart turned into action. Loving kindness. So a heart of love followed by acts of love. And all that rooted in this kind of commitment that's unbreakable, faithful over millennia, no matter what. All of that is packed into this word. So when we're told that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, all of this is packed into it. We'll call it faithful love today. And here's the one thing I want everybody in this room to carry away from this part of God's Word today. It is this promise. Well, where is it? It's not there. All right, we'll say it. God's faithful love cannot be broken. If you only remember one thing, carry one thing away, that's it. God's faithful love cannot be broken. And I'll be honest and tell you, I'm torn about saying that up front. Here's why I'm torn. On the one hand, yes, it's the one thing that we want to carry away from this message. And and we're going to explore a lot of other territory, and we don't want this to get lost in it. So, yes, hang on to that up front. God's faithful love cannot be broken. But the reason I'm torn is 
I don't want us to jump so fast to that truth that we don't feel the pain. Some, sometimes we can get so much in a hurry to get to the healing that we don't really wrestle through the hard. And I don't want that signal to be sent this morning, which is why we'll start here with this principle. God's faithful love can't be broken, but there are times when our hearts are breaking. So one of the things we want to learn through the part of Scripture called Lamentations is this truth that it's okay to let our hearts break. That won't break His love. He is not afraid for us to say to Him, our hearts are broken, Lord. So that's going to keep us away from simplistic answers. I'm stealing this word from a friend of mine. Simplistic is not a word in English, right? My friend Rodney is from Costa Rica, and if you go visit him, he'll teach you the word touristic. It's a great word, right? It, how do you describe all those places that, that the tourists go to, but nobody who's from the country actually ever goes there? The things that all tourists want to do, but nobody who lives in Costa Rica ever wants to do it? Rodney's word is touristic. Great, great. Well, okay, we're going to model this word simplistic on that word. It is simplistic to think that, you know what, Christians, we, we don't even know what suffering is because Christianity is, is all about life being great all the time and it's joy and it's heaven and it's all this great stuff. So if you are hurting, if you are suffering, you must be doing it wrong. We reject that. The presence of these five poems in our Bible says God wants us to reject that mindset. Now, he also wants, to, wants us to reject the opposite, which says, you know, Christianity doesn't know anything about joy. If you aren't miserable all the time, you must be doing it wrong. And there have been different Christian traditions that have fallen off different sides of this. But, but here we are to say, no, the, the, the world is not like that, that, that. There are mountain peaks and there are valleys in between. There are days when the morning sunshine can't be hidden and then there are days when the clouds are so dark and you just can't see light at all. And, and, and all of that is part of life under God's faithful love. At the center of who we are is this, this story that says there are nights of crucifixion, darkness and sorrow and then there are Easter Sunday mornings of glory and joy and new life. And, and so if, if that's the Christ we follow, then we would never say that we're afraid to say when our hearts are breaking. So we reject those simplistic answers and we pursue honest answers. And let's just hear them for a minute. Sometimes it feels like God is a bear hiding in the bushes waiting out to jump on me. And is it okay for me to say that? And God says, yes. It is okay for you to say that. Sometimes it feels like God is the lion pouncing on me, tearing me to pieces. Sometimes it feels like he's taking target practice and I'm the target. He's the hunter and I'm the prey. And listen to just how 
pardon the pun, visceral the imagery is here. He drove his arrows deep into my kidneys. Like this, it is okay to say you're hurting. It is okay to say that sometimes it feels like God invited me to a banquet and what he fed me was a dandelion salad with crushed up pecan shells and vinegar as dressing. Like th- that's, that's what all this language means here when it, when it says he filled me with bitterness. He satisfied me with wormwood. What's wormwood? It's this plant that grows in lots of places. One of those places is the Middle East, and it's just, it's, it's proverbial for bitterness. It's the thing that makes you want to gag. It's like God invited me to a banquet and said, here, I'm going to stuff you full of everything that makes you want to vomit. And is it okay for me to say that? Yes, it is. And here's the thing that these poems tell us. This is not just emotional venting or ranting, right? These poems have been structured in such a way that that somebody spent a long time thinking deeply about how to say, this is how much it hurts. So, so, So the book of Lamentations is structured in this way, right? All these Every verse of chapter 3 starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the verse 1, 2, and 3 start with the same letter. And the next verses start with the same letter. And then we get down to the verses that we read. And we get down to this verse that's about God's faithful love. And, and it's chesed. And it starts with the letter chet. And every verse around it starts with that letter. And, and the point is, somebody spent a long time thinking very carefully about how to say, God, it hurts. In other words, lamentations isn't God saying, well, it's okay for you to hurt, but get it over with quickly and be sure to move on to the mountaintop. Don't spend much time in the valley. You have to be in the valley a long time to write a poem like this. And it's okay. God's love is not going to break because we take a long time to say, this is how bad it hurts. So one thing I want to say this morning is we don't have to hide, okay? Let's be honest. We, we don't have to hide when our hearts are breaking. If you're wrestling with depression and you feel like you have to hide that, then we are doing something wrong as a church. If you feel like becoming part of this community means you, have, you don't have freedom to say, my anxiety, my tears are crippling, then we are doing something wrong. God's love can handle the honesty. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to make others hide it. And I'll just say right now, if, if I'm touching on a nerve that makes you want to cry right here, right now, do it. Go ahead. Let it out. It is okay. People who follow a crucified Savior do not have to smile every day. And we know that's not the end of the story. 
But it's part of the story. And it's real. And it's because God's faithful love can't be broken that we have the safety and the courage to be able to say, this is how it feels right now. So we want to start there and say, you know what? Even when our hearts are breaking, His faithful love can handle it. And we don't have to hide it. Let's, let's listen to the next part of what God is going to say to us this morning. Even when His covenant is broken, His faithful love is not. What's a covenant? Well, we've, we've had a couple opportunities to talk about that in the last few weeks. Covenant is a solemn pledge of life and love and loyalty that binds God to His people. And even when we break that pledge, His faithful love is not destroyed. That's that's part of the message of hope that we're meant to carry away from this book that invites us to hurt. It invites us to be honest about the pain. It invites us to say, you know what, Lord, sometimes... It feels like you want to feed me gravel. It feels like you want to make me forget what joy is. Now, why would we talk about covenant from this part of Scripture? Well, it has to do with a a greater theme, which is exile. So this book is written when the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. Why is the city of Jerusalem destroyed? Well, it it relates back to this broader theme that God had said to His people uh, a long time before this book was ever written. He had said, you might be uprooted from your land one day. In Deuteronomy 4, this is how God says it. Starting with verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has made with you, and start worshiping statues of gods and goddesses that you're inventing for yourselves. And then he says, when when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, you will perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to, to possess. You will not live long in it. You will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. The pattern is this. We talked about it briefly last week. That God has called His people to be a kingdom of priests. We're here on the earth to show every nation what He is like. By the way we live under His faithful love. And if we begin to live in a way that shows the nations that you can love him half-heartedly and he's okay with that? Or that you could just get as much goodness from your own idols as you can get from him? Then we are putting the nations in danger. 
And God has to protect the world from us if we begin to break his covenant in that way. And so he will uproot us from the place we are planted. And he says that from the beginning of his dealings with his people. And so when Jerusalem is destroyed, these poems of bitter grief aren't just, you know, kind of a, God, I'm having a bad week. Can I let it out a little bit? It's this place of fear and trembling saying, Lord, if this has happened, then, then we must be those covenant breakers. Our failure must be greater than we ever imagined. Our need of your mercy must be greater than we ever dreamed. And that's why we have to sit and feel all of that pain. And is there any hope for us? And the answer is, yes. And that's where, and that's where these verses that we read today are rooted. I still have hope, verse 21 says, because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We may have broken the covenant, but His love is not broken. His mercies won't ever come to an end. Every morning He will renew them. His faithfulness is great. The Lord is my portion. Now, have you ever heard a promise as great as that in your whole life? And you're going, I don't even know what that means. The Lord is my portion. Okay. Portion. Something valuable is divided up into smaller pieces. And you are given one of them in a way that promises you security for your future. It's what we would call becoming a shareholder. You take the assets of the corporation, you divide them up into, we don't call them portions, we call them shares, stocks, and you own that stock. You're you're bought in. You're a shareholder. My aunt did very well for herself. She lived in Atlanta. Her first job uh, here was working as a teller at a bank. She eventually became vice president, one of the vice presidents of Bank of America. Notice what she's talking about financially. So when my cousin and I graduated from high school, she gave us shares. She made us stockholders. Why? Because she wanted to give us a secure future. Right? She, she wanted to give us something that would, whose, whose value would always increase, would never diminish We provide us security. Now, you can't have that in this world, right? But that's what this promise is, is that even when when we have failed in this love relationship with our God, His love is not broken. And He promises to give us something. What does He promise to give us as the share, the portion? And the answer is Himself. The Lord is my portion. Now, what's not answered in this part of Lamentations is what would God do to make that true? How would that promise be kept? And here's the gospel in the book of Lamentations. God's faithful love isn't broken because he lets himself be broken. 
If you've spent centuries saying, I'm going to plant a people in a special land that's the crossroads of the whole ancient world because I want all nations to know me, then imagine what it does for your reputation as God when you have to uproot your people from that land. Some God you are. Some love relationship this must be. It has failed. How how could God be the God for the whole earth if he can't even be the God for one puny little people? It's not the first time the exile theme has shown up in the scriptures. Adam and Eve are planted in a garden from which they are to multiply and subdue the whole earth and fill the whole earth with image bearers pointing to the goodness and the greatness of God. And how long does that arrangement last? We don't know, but eventually God has to drive them from the garden. Because planted in that land, they're going to fill the whole earth with a bunch of people who say, we can do better than God. And it looks like God's whole experiment with the human race is just blown up in his face. Some creator God you are, you couldn't see this coming? We could have told you this was going to happen. Ha, God. Jesus shows up. Surely the exile theme has gone underground when Jesus shows up, right? No, Jesus talks about exile too. He says to his people, if if you come to me and you say you know me and you don't, then I will say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus will send us into exile if we are just paying him lip service. He says, salt, you're the salt of the earth, but if you lose your flavor, you're only good for being thrown out. If, if you're going to tell people that, that Jesus is okay with a half-hearted relationship, that's the wrong signal. And he will, well, the book of Revelation says, he will remove your lampstand from its place. We're walking through the history of the whole scripture, right? And it leads up to this place where Jesus himself endures exile. Where Jesus himself on the cross, you can read about it in the gospels, endures this broken heart and says, God, you have shot your arrows into me. They have pierced my kidneys. He doesn't use those words, but you hear it when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The book of Hebrews says he was put to death outside the city walls. As a way of summarizing that Jesus was exiled from the presence of God. And that's the answer to the question. How is it that God would keep his faithful love for us even when we as a people have broken his heart by betraying that faithful love? And the answer is he lets himself be broken. 
He lets himself be rejected. He lets himself look like the biggest loser that ever walked this planet. He lets himself look like the greatest failure at keeping God's covenant. Because if he's under this kind of curse so as to be justly condemned by the Roman Empire and hung on a tree, he is rejected by God. A God who's willing to let himself look like the worthless one. Do you remember when Apple was founded? 1974. Can you imagine what it'd be like if your aunt gave you some shares of Apple stock when you graduated from high school in 1988? I can't either. (laughs) I could probably dress a little nicer, buy full-length ties. (laughs) If I had some Apple stock, she gave us shares of Ryan's stock. Because Ryan's, thank you, Dana. (laughs) Ryan's were being built everywhere in 1988. And it looked like you couldn't get enough of those yeast rolls. And let me sit down and get my all-I-can-eat buffet of fattening food. And guess what? That stuff is worth less today than when I got it 30 years ago. Jesus hangs on the cross and is willing to say, I am the Ryan's buffet in the Apple Cosmos. I am as cool as Ryan's at the Apple store. I am worthless. That's what the crucifixion is, is God saying, you have treated me like I was worthless and not worthy of being trusted. And I will come into your world and let you treat me that way. And I will look like the one who got it all wrong to make it all right. Now, by talking about these things, I don't want anybody to conclude, oh, wait a minute, if Jesus had to die because I broke this covenant of love with God, and breaking covenant love with God leads to exile, which leads to pain and hurt and sorrow, therefore, every time my heart is broken, God must be punishing me for something. No. I do not want you to hear that. Jesus suffered greatly. He did nothing wrong. We reject simplistic answers. That is not what I want you to hear today. What I want you to hear today is, I already told you, the one thing that I don't want you to forget, that I want everybody to carry away. God's faithful love cannot be broken because of what Jesus has done God's faithful love cannot be broken